This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you, of course, by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. And, of course, David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Road. In fact, I'm sitting here in Chicago with David Hobbs. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Always good to be on your show, and uh, yeah, good to, good to see you. And uh, there's some news with the dealership with the expansion. How's that coming? Well, because it's you know uh, it got so far, then of course it came to the customary winter halt. Right. But uh, come you know March time or maybe end of March, they'll you know start to black top it, put all the light lighting in, and uh, we've drugged the retention pond, cleared out all the scrub, so it's all ready to go. Excellent. Of course, more than enough uh, room for customers to come down look at all the new and used cars there at, at David Hobbs Honda. Yeah, the whole idea really is, you know, we had a lot of frontage which we sold some off a couple of years back and um, we needed more storage space and there was a piece of land came behind us and uh, my son Greg, you know, who runs it now, I mean, he um, he did a deal on that and uh, we cleared it out and some uh, a, a group of... Uh, condos going up there, old, old folks' home is going up there, and uh, so we took some land behind them that they didn't need, but it's very useful for us, and uh, as you say, it'll give more display space, a lot of lighting's going to be out there, and uh, so, yeah, big good spot. Of course, the other news is your upcoming book, which is going to be released in March at Amelia Island, Hobo, tell us about that. Well, Hobo has taken a long time to write. Margaret Hobbs, Mrs. Hobbs, uh, to me and you, has um, always insisted that I should write a, a story of my story. Um, and I started with Bob Varsha many years ago and uh, finished off with um, Andrew Marriott, who's a British uh, reporter and writer. You've probably seen him on Fox Sports. He does a lot of pit reporting. Um, and he and I kind of finished it together. And it's been published in Britain by Evro Publishing and will be available at Amelia Island on uh, March the 10th and 11th. And then uh, the week after that, we're going over to England to do the uh, British launch at the RAC Club in Pall Mall, which is a very posh joint uh, downtown London. And um, then over the year, I should be selling it at various points. We'll obviously have some of the dealership uh, to sell. And, of course, uh, I should be going to races like the uh, IndyCar race at Road America, Brian Redmond's vintage race in July there, and, and other venues around the country to try and... Uh, sell the book. Now, was there any peer pressure? Of course, I had John Fitzpatrick on last year, and then Brian Redmond had his book out. Was there peer pressure from those two to get your booking here? Absolutely. Both of them have uh, been very insistent I should do it. Brian has done extremely well with his book. I mean, I think he sold about 7,000 copies, which for a racing book That's very good. is a lot. Uh, and uh, Evro, who, who also published his book, are very proud of that. So now... There is the unwritten challenge. Uh, obviously, I have to try and sell more than 7,000 of these books, um, which probably will be a challenge. But, um, 
you know, with a lot of TV fans still who hopefully will remember me for at least one more year, and maybe they'll, uh, maybe I'll find some buyers there. But yeah, I mean, there's there's always a challenge. You know, we're down here this weekend in Chicago with Johnny Rutherford, who brought his book out not that long ago, mm-hmm. Lone Star JR, which of course is a good read. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot, there's lots of peer pressure from all sorts of sides to get the thing done and make it a good one. Now, putting a book together, it's, it's been a, a, a long journey, but is there any one story or something that someone brought up in doing research and looking over old photos and whatnot that you said, oh, I totally forgot about that? Well, there are quite a few th- things that in the end I have left out, which probably is a bit of a bummer. Uh, so I suppose like Derek Bell, who's about to write another book, he wrote a book oh, a long time ago, 10 or 15 years ago. So maybe I'll just have to write another one down the road to pull in the stories I forgot in this one. <laughs> There's a, a lot, a lot, a lot of stories. Uh, I know you and I sat down about 15 years ago and did a uh, interview and there's a lot of stuff that uh, we, we talked about, especially pertaining to the American side and the, the IndyCar side. And, of course, uh, you being down here in Chicago with Johnny Rutherford, you were teammates with them at Team McLaren. Uh, tell us how that came about with the Carly and Black label and, and, and Johnny and everything in McLaren. Well, it's a bit of a long story, but in 1973 I'd raced for Roy Woods, and he had stumbled on this Carling Black label sponsorship, and uh, they were out of Canada. And they sponsored him on everything. They had a, they sponsored a Can-Am team, a Formula 5000 team, and an IndyCar team. And he wanted me to drive all of them. Uh, but I couldn't because I was already committed to drive for Carl Hogan in Formula 5000. And so Tony Adamowicz drove the 5000, but I drove the IndyCar and I drove the Can-Am car. And, you know, in the Can-Am, of course, we were coming into the tail end of, of the, the first series go-round. Uh, but I had the most wonderful car. I had a McLaren M20, which was the very last McLaren, which Peter Rebson had driven the year before. And, of course, the year before, 1972, was when the Penske Porsche showed up and absolutely blew away the field with George Fulmer. Uh, and by 1973, they had an even more impressive weapon, the 1730, which was just incredible, 1,500 horsepower for qualifying. Uh, and obviously the McLaren with the Chev engine was no match for that. And um, probably had one of my best ever races ever in a 73 was uh, coming second to Donahue at uh, Watkins Glen in the Can-Am car. And um, I beat about seven of these Porsche 917 turbos. So at the end of that year, I think Carling Black Label thought, oh my God, you know, we've overspent. And, you know, so they pulled away, pulled off for racing. However, they contacted me again and said, look, we were very impressed with the Indy 500. I did the Indy 500 for um, Black Label with the Roy Woods car and Eagle. And we were running very well. Unfortunately, about halfway through the race, the car just stopped going down the back straight. And after about a 10-lap stop, we, f- the, uh, we found out that the um, magneto drive had broken, put a new magneto in, boom, off I went again, passing people right, left and centre, and I came 10th. Uh, anyway, Carling had been very impressed with all the people of Cotton India. You know, how can you not be impressed with 350,000 people? Uh, and all their distributors had liked it. And obviously, the beer company depends on their distributors. Uh, they're a big part of the selling process. So they said, "We'll do. We'll do another year with you uh, at Indy. We'd like to do another year with you at Indy." And um, the, you know, we took the sponsorship proposal to McLaren, 
and uh, they ran a second car. Johnny Rutherford ran his car, which had no sponsorship, and my car had the Carling Black Label sponsorship. And um, Johnny had um, some misfortunes in qualifying, started right near the back. And anyway, he went on to win his first win after the, about 15 starts, uh, and I came fifth. So it was a pretty good day for McLaren. Uh, the Carling Black Label people loved it. Not that they ever came back again, but they, they certainly got their money's worth there, they felt. And um, so that's how I came to drive the Carling Black Label car twice at Indy, uh, and only once everywhere else. One of the best-looking cars, too, yeah. uh, that were out there. A lot of fans always remember that car, and then the striking uh, black and red and white uh, livery on that. Is and really, uh, really Formula One, and uh, I guess it's the same question I had for you last year. Can anybody beat Mercedes? Well, the Ferrari vibes through the winter have been very strong. We've heard various people from Ferrari come out and say the machine this year is terrific. Um, obviously, they're bound to say that. And as always, we really won't know until the first test, which is at the end of this month, end of February, in uh, Barcelona. And there's, uh, what, a four-day test, and then there's another four-day test straight on top of that. And all will be revealed in that testing. But I would think Mercedes, they looked very, very strong last year. The Ferrari was very strong to start with. Then they had a bit of a fade, and then Vettel got himself into trouble at Azerbaijan by running into... Um, Hamilton on a on a uh, caution lap, and really blotted his copybook. And I think it upset him um, mentally because he must have thought, "What the hell was I thinking of? What we know?" And he went off the boil a little bit there. And um, Ferrari took the, I mean, uh, Mercedes took grip of the situation and, and suddenly swamped everybody. Um, I think we can expect some uh, good results too from Williams with a couple of rookie drivers. We'll have to see how they do. And, of course, Red Bull are very strong. Adrian Newey designs the most amazing cars. And, of course, Max Verstappen, who's still only 19, um, I think will be a strong threat. I'm sure he'll win some races next year. Will he win enough to win the championship? Don't know. But I think it should be a better championship this year between Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. And a little bit of controversy uh, about a month ago when I think it was Gerhard Steiner from uh, Haas Formula One mentioned about, he's mentioned, is there an American driver ready for F1? He took a little bit of criticism, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let the, the listeners know what my opinion's of that. But, uh, David, what are yours? Uh, what's, what's your opinion on that about America, American driver ready to step in a Formula One car? Well, I sort of, in a, I agree with him in some ways. Um, I mean, Graham Rahal was very upset. But, I mean, for instance, Graham Rahal is a terrific driver and is the equal of a lot of the Formula 1 drivers, for absolute sure. But he is over 30 years old, and he's way too late to start in Formula 1. And I think Gunter Steiner kind of didn't describe it very well. Um, but, obviously, there are a lot of young American drivers coming up through the ranks. And, um, unfortunately, Formula 1 is kind of... Um, it's not a stereotype as such, but it, the fact is that you've got to be right on the rung of the ladder early on. So somebody has got to be prepared to go to England uh, or Italy and live from the age of about 14, 12 or 14 on to do all that European uh, early racing. All the, the ladders, the rungs of the ladder are all based in Europe. So you've got to do Formula 3, GP3, GP2, and then to try and get into Formula One. And you have to follow that protocol. And I don't see a way out of breaking that. So a young driver has got to be prepared. And of course, 
at 12, 13, how, how good do you know you are? You know, how confident are you? So you, you've got to have a lot of backing, financial backing, uh, and you've got to be, as you have in every form of racing, you've got to be dead lucky too. But I mean, I think there are going to be plenty of Americans around who, who could do very, very well in Formula One, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I think you know, we had a few that, that tried to go through the ladder series but just didn't make it all the way through. Like Danica tried and then aborted her attempt. Uh, then we had Connor Daly most recently and then Scott Speed. Now, Newgarden, I think, would be probably the best candidate right now because well, of his did, youth. He did GP3 for a right. year. So he knows a lot of circuits. He knows his way around. But, you know, you're, you're Joseph Newgarden, you've just won the IndyCar Championship for Roger Penske, who's probably paying him some pretty good money. Why would you jeopardize that or, or throw the dice big time and say, no, I'm going to go and try and make it big in Formula One? Uh, and, you know, you might fall on your face. So he's way better off doing what he's doing. I think it's it's really easy when you're somebody sitting in you know, Ohio behind a keyboard thinking, yeah, he should make this decision. But if you're the driver... And there's financial implications involved. I mean, that's quite a financial risk. To I mean, if you're Joseph Newgarden, you're finally making decent money after being underpaid basically throughout his career. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, for him, it would be an enormous risk. I mean, I would love to see Joseph Newgarden in Formula One because I think he would be an instant fit. But it's no good him going off the drive, say a. Um, you know, even a Force India. I mean, he be he needs to be jumping into a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a McLaren with the new Renault engine, which they're hoping is going to bring them success this year, or a Red Bull. And that is not going to happen. That just won't happen. He's not going to displace somebody there now. And unless he drives one of those cars, there's no good him driving some car that is already a backmarker, because all he'll do is just be a slightly better backmarker. I think uh, looking back, you know, if you want to look back about 10, 15, or now even 20 years, I think the one guy who, one driver that could have really put F1 on his ear would have been Alonzer Jr. I think Alonzer Jr., he went for a test, was staggeringly fast. The other guy that would have been very good was Jeff Gordon, who tried a Formula One car, did that comparison test between the Formula One and the NASCAR with Montoya back, what, eight or nine years ago now. Um, and even then, I mean, Jeff was in his mid-30s and just instantly got to, got to handle that car. So I think someone like Jeff Gordon, uh, Tony Stewart would have been a great, because both those kids came up through the single-seater series, and I think they would have been terrific for, in Formula 1. One of my favorite stories is uh, when he, when uh, Gordon got into Montoya's car, Montoya told him, you know, when you won't believe the braking power in these cars, and you got to tighten up your neck muscles. And Jeff Gordon's like, okay, whatever. And he goes down home and straight, full bore, gets on the brakes, and he has a, you know, he grays out. He almost blacks out because all the blood rushed from his head. It's one of my favorite stories about driving a modern F1 car, which, of course, is. It's almost impossible for a regular person off the street, even if he's in generally in shape, I think, to drive an F1 car uh, at, at full speed, isn't it? Well, it is extremely difficult to maintain the, the, the speed because your physical fitness is absolutely paramount. I mean, you've got to be physically fit to do any sort of road racing or any sort of racing. But Formula One, those guys, they're all little because the teams absolutely demand, we can't have the weight from the right. driver, we can't have the weight from the driver. So you've got to be, you know, you're around about 120 pounds. So you're a little guy, uh, but you have to have terrific strength, uh, especially in the upper torso, your neck, your shoulders, your upper arms. And, um, and just to hold yourself up in those cars is pretty, 
uh, tough going. So they generate huge amounts of G-force. You know, they generate up to seven Gs on braking, yeah, four Gs on accelerating, five and six Gs side forces all the time, and, it, and it's there all the time. It never goes away. So yeah, you got to be you got to be uh, fit. I think one guy who one driver has to go to uh, Taylor is Fernando Alonso because uh, the e, he's got to have at least a sixteen plus neck on on him. Yeah, Nigel Mansell was always the one that used to get me. He'd start the year off with about a, a sixteen collar. By the time the year end is about eighteen and a half. Uh, yeah, because you got that helmet on top of your head. So uh, yeah, I mean these guys have got really, really, really strong neck muscles. Well, David, we certainly appreciate you taking time out with us. Uh, give us a prediction, not not who's going to win the championship, but give us something or a driver or a team we should look for in Formula One this year. Well, I think for the McLaren fans who for the last three years have been fading as the Honda power unit has just not done what anybody hoped, obviously, especially myself being a dealer, I was hoping that Honda would look pretty good. Uh, it looked horrible, and they've gone back to the Renault engine, and I think that... Uh, Alonso and Stoffel von Dorn in the McLaren might surprise a lot of people this year. I hope they do. I really do. And I also hope, the hope, hope that the Honda goes well in its new home in the uh, Toro Rosso. That should be interesting uh, coming up here in a few, in about, I think, three, four weeks, I think, uh, when this uh, airs. And uh, also the, the book, Habo, will be appearing, but we'll have you on before uh, March, and we'll let the fans know where they can get the, the book coming up in March. Thank you very much, Steve. Always got to do the plugging of the book because we got to sell at least we got to sell more than Brian Redmond, so we got to get on with it. All right, thank you, David Hobbs. You're listening to Final Inspection Show, Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.